0: Welcome to the eighth episode of the Summer Racing Podcast for 2022 23. The two year olds had their time in the spotlight last Sunday for the Elwick Stakes, and we move on to the three year olds this Friday night for the listed Kevin Sharkey, Launceston Giddies. I'm Matt Reed on behalf of Taz Racing, and let me welcome in the brains of this podcast, and that's Bear Robinson. Welcome for another week, mate.
1: I'll take that snap. Uh... Yeah, head for radio, so I'll take brains. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on again, mate. Plenty to discuss. There was a big meeting at Hobart, and um looking forward to Friday night's meeting as well. There's a couple of really good races.
0: Yeah, there is. We'll probably spend a little bit more time recapping Hobart than we ordinarily would. I think all five of those feature races there are going to flow into um, more of those horses running in the next few weeks. So we'll give them a little bit of air time. Our special guest this week is AFL Premiership player, uh, someone that you and I, probably both Bear as Hawks fans, have a special place in our heart. Of course, I'm talking about Campbell Brown. Uh, we'll have a look at, in detail at the two features in Launceston, the Ladbroke Stakes and the Launceston Guineas, and we'll finish with Bear's brief and snapper's special. Starting with Hobart Bear, another terrific day in terms of the weather, really good day of racing, Uh, Rail plus 10. I don't necessarily think it was any disadvantage to maybe be on speed, but it certainly wasn't a leaders track or anything like that. Runners made ground. We had a good four. Nice, healthy crowd on track. Just another great day of racing during the summer festival, I thought.
1: Yeah, it was. And I suppose some of those on speed might have been a touch tempo related. Um, Miami Sun was able to come from uh, well back. Uh, In the field, Need Sugar was on pace, Dark Wander was close to the pace, of the track as normal. As usual, race really good, and it's a credit to the track staff that they keep producing such a a good quality track for all participants.
0: Yeah, not wrong. Let's start with a feature race there. It was for the two-year-olds, as I said off the bat, the Kevin Sharkey, Elwick Stakes. Minor boil-over bear, Need Sugar managed to get the job done uh, in a race where, it has to be said, a lot of them... Woefully underperformed. Um, what did you take out of uh, the first black type two-year-old feature of the season?
1: Yeah, Need Sugar was really dominant in the end. Uh, he probably had the hardest run in the race. Sort of, sort of stuck three wide for a portion of it. And when Troy Baker pulled the trigger, coming to the turn, it, it bounded away and won like a really nice horse. I thought Cespy Moore was pretty good on debut. Um, it's always hard when you miss the kick, especially at your first race start, and hit, hit the line okay. Encounter the Sphere was. Quite honest, Thoris Amur was probably the disappointment of the race. I don't know if there's any post-race issues with that, but it's been beaten over 10 lengths. So um, probably the winner probably was a bit over the odds, really. It's been beaten ahead last start to Thoris Amur, and it um, looks a pretty genuine horse. And I probably think, you you know, even going forward, it's probably one to follow because it's improved at every race start, which I think is a great sign for a two-year-old.
0: Yeah, I think the big take out of this race was the the experience and race fitness that the Need Sugar had, start four uh, for him. He ran a half length quicker than Bello Bo did when winning this race last year. It was Bellow bow's second start and, and not far off the older horses in the other two hundred eleven hundred 1100 1,100-metre features on this program. So a fair bit of merit in the performance against the clock for Need Sugar. Uh, Cairns was the two, was $2.90 here, Thoris and Meyer. favourite. Both of those horses had beaten Need Sugar Home this preparation. One was beaten seven. The other was beaten ten and a half. So it's fair to say uh, they've gone very ordinary. It was a very thin edition of the Elwick Stakes going in there. I think a few horses that were here um, probably weren't ready. Thespian Waters, uh, in the end, we didn't really know what we were getting. The market smashed him early. I think it was the wrong price, $9.00. You and I both stepped into that a little bit. He was a little bit easy late, and in the end, jumping around 450 was probably about right, as he said. He was a bit slow away in the trial. He did that again on race day. I think the thing that worked against Thespian Waters here, I've got a little doubt that he would have gone a lot closer to winning this race had he been able to have a run under the belt. Um, as we touched on then his his trial, he did a bit wrong, but he was way better than them. And the margin um, was enormous. And when he was slow out here, he, he just sort of raced like a horse on debut. There was a maiden two year old maiden deleted from the Friday program in Launceston. That was two days after the Devonport cup and Thespian waters uh, was one of the nominations for that race. Now, whether he goes there and, and is able to back up to the Elwick stakes 12 days later, I'm not sure, but I do think if he managed to have a maiden run and a bit more of that race experience and managed to stay sound, I think the margin would have been a little bit closer than the three lengths here. But uh, I'll tell you what, Bear, unless a few horses come from the mainland, it's looking like pretty slim pickings going to the gold sovereign.
1: Yeah. And as I said, it's, it's improved every start needs sugar and there's no reason why it won't improve again. It didn't have the best to run and it was obviously a dominant three length victory. So, um, as Brownie touches on in your interview with him, the people will hear later in the show, um, it's always hard back and first starters. Obviously, nothing beats race day experience. And um, obviously, Need Sugar had had more experience than most of the horses in this race. And that's um, thoroughly played dividends. And well done to uh, one of my mates, Dad's Dusty Miller, who's got a share in Need Sugar. He's the luckiest man alive. He wins footy tipping. He wins margin tickets. And now he uh, has won the Kevin Shark Air Stakes. So well done, Dusty
0: think you'd rather win the Elwick Stakes over a footy tipping and a margin ticket, although you'd probably equally brag all the same. Yeah, I think Need Sugar's the only one of the locals we would probably really want to take towards the gold sovereign. I did hear that Thespian Waters might have been tipped out straight after this race, and it's a big drop-off there. A second of the five features that we'll touch on Bear was the Tassie Bloodstock Summer Cup. Swoop Dog I know you say he's my favorite horse, but I'll put on the record now. I sold my stock in Swoop Dog after the Devonport Cup win. I thought I was cashing out at the right time. I had a few queries on him going to 2200. His stock's gone up, though. He managed to get the job done here with a a fairly uh, dominant and emphatic win on the line in in the Summer Cup, probably the final lead up before the Hobart Cup for the majority of these horses.
1: Yeah, and obviously we both thought there might have been a bit of a distance out, but that was dispelled pretty quickly. Um, there's another gun ride by Ziggy Carr, who's probably her last month, especially over these staying trips, has been exemplary her form, and she goes sweep dog every chance again. It was pretty dominant in the win uh, in the in the end. Um, just out of this race, so I think uh, Blind Freddy again would have if you didn't see the run of Glass Warrior. Um, I did see that. Uh, Adam Upton tweeted it ran the fastest last 200 of the meet for a star over 2200. I, I think um that's a horse that I really want to follow from a local point of view going forward into the uh, Hobart Cup. Obviously, it depends what comes over from the mainland, but um I thought obviously Swoop Dog was dominant in winning, but I thought Glass Warrior was an outstanding run from well back in the field.
0: This was, the, of all the feature races on the program, this is the one that I'll probably take the most out of going forward. Before I. Give my two cents worth. We might just listen to the winning jockey interview of Siggy Carr. I was terrified when I turned for home. I could already hear John's voice. uh, Probably gone a bit soon. But anyway, he he travelled up so well and I didn't want to shorten his stride. I wanted to go with him. And when he loomed up into the turn, I did feel like a sitting shot. But, gee, this horse is flying. He's just gone to another level now. And um, there's no doubt he stayed. Um, He stayed that distance out of treat. Took a while to pull him up too, so that's always a good sign. Yeah, no doubt will be a uh, a big contender, especially from a local perspective in the, uh, the Hobart Cup, uh, provided that he goes that way. Yeah, look, and um, I think next time if he can sort of get a real nice card up into it, he'll be even more lethal late. Like I said, I was a real sitting shot and um, I don't even know, I was too scared to look behind how far he won by, but it felt convincing. Interesting there, Bear. You might have caught it on the day, but... Uh, Siggy was saying that, that Johnny didn't want her to go too early, but the way that this race played out, she didn't really have uh, any choice but to go early on Swoop Dog. There's a bit to pack, unpack here, and the first one being the way that the race was run. It was almost f- four full seconds slower than last year when Whitehawk won in what was a track record time. Swoop Dog finished ninth there in that race, beaten in excess of seven lengths. First, second, and third in the run in the summer cap on Sunday, finished in the trifecta in some order. That include the roughy, oh, I'm so cool, who's at $61. So you get sort of a tearaway leader there, and the, the initial thought is, geez, they must be going hard here. The reality was that that wasn't the case at all. Um, advantage Swoop Dog, because he puts himself in the race, he just he just couldn't have had a better run here than what he's had in in Devonport and Hobart. Of the 10 runners in this race, Swoop Dog had the eighth fastest last 200 metre of the race, the fourth fastest last 400, and the fifth fastest last 600. So the, I might tell you that he was absolutely savaging the line at the end of, of 2200. The sectionals don't necessarily back that up. And and he had an absolutely perfect run here in the race and, Fair play, put himself in the race, and, and that's what you need to do. But I've got a bit of a query here still on him going towards 2,400. Bear it reminds me a little bit, and I don't want to dig up old wounds, but a couple of years ago, one of your horses, Mandela Effect, absolutely savaged the line in a slowly run summer cup, and that led to him starting Siegel figures in a Hobart Cup, and, and his legitimate staying credentials were found out there in a 2,400 metre race. My gut feel is that might be the case here, again, with Swoop Dog, uh, hence why my stock has been sold, even though it went up after the Summer Cup win. Yeah, that's fair, but I, I suppose you look at
1: it two ways, mate. Like, if the Hobart Cups are slowly erased, then Swoop Dog will be able to camp himself on pace and give himself every chance. But if it's a brutally run race, then he may be found out over 2,400. But I, I just Ziggy obviously touched on she wasn't meant to go too early, but she summed the race up perfectly and mathematically gave the horses behind her no chance of beating her. So um hats off to Ziggy for the ride and well done, Johnny Blacker. Not many stayers win so many um races in a row as Sweep Dog has done. So um, you know, I hope it runs really well in the Hobart Cup for the team. And um, you know, I'd love to see a horse from Tassie win the cup. And if it's Sweep Dog, then hats off to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The one I still want going forward and I'll I'll back you up. It's Glass Warrior. Um, It it was difficult to predict that this race would be so differently run than the Brighton Cup where they broke a track record. To me, Glass Warrior, this was the equivalent of a heat swim uh, where they basically just wanted to get through to the final. Glass Warrior, when Chelsea Baker won the Brighton Cup, she was basically equal first on the home turn. Here, she was a couple of lengths out the back and you're dead right. The horse did run the equal fastest last 200 metres of the program at the end of a 2,200 metre weight for Adre. So I think they they got what they wanted out of this. They they showed with a Brighton Cup win that Class Warrior is back. She's somewhere near their best. Here, again, she was ticking over brilliantly. Um, She's the horse that I want of all the locals heading towards uh, the Hobart Cup. I think Travelling Gigolo is going to be suited in in this flying, just needs a handicap and thought Rising Light was really good here too. Bear, again, race run to suit on pace, but it's worth noting the preparation that he's having. He obviously won one of the Devonport Cup lead-ups, was a huge run in defeat uh, in said Devonport Cup and a a placing here and the in the summer cup probably says he'll go towards the Hobart cup as well.
1: Yeah, he's absolutely flying. He's had a great prep. Um, you touched on gigolo. I think, uh, he'll, he'll lead up the 50, Ah, uh, sorry, the 2,400, he'll drop to the minimum of 54. So the further they go, the better it is for gigolo. But as you touched on glass Warrior is the one you want to be, um, with going out of this
0: race and I'm in full agreement with you there, mate. The market smashed Dark Dream here. Mm. Probably went up the wrong price. I think he's a bit of a grinder that was probably unsuited by the slow tempo here. He was a bit plain probably on face value on paper, but just sort of kept coming to the line and couldn't really take off ground off any of those in front of him. I think he's one that that will want a genuine twenty-four hundred meter testing Hobart cup where mm. where he can probably get to the line. But I think they bet nearly seven dollars plus early yeah, in his jump. I think he
1: might even touch more, eight fifty. But he probably, I think I agree with you over the twenty-four, but I think he might need a softer track to produce his
0: best in his older age. Well you did call that in, in the preview. So um you may be right there. Jump $2.70 favorite. So yeah, a bit to take out of, of the summer carpet. I, I think there may be a few false positives, but I was wrong about that race letting in and I could easily be wrong about the Hobart Cup, a lot of it bear will come down to who chooses to to cross Bass straight. And I think if you've seen the lead-ups and, and you had this race targeted, then you, you're certainly not running scared of anything that's racing down here, even though Swoop Dog is winning races for fun. Uh, the Thousand Guineas Bear, uh, this one was taken out by Justin Eads and what was a pretty th- thrilling contest. Pink Beauty was very well rated on speed by Cody Jordan probably looked the winner and, and Justin Eads lifted by Brendan Late, got home over the line. Yeah,
1: you obviously identified Justin Eads uh, last week in the pod and I did notice it was quite a big market shortness, so obviously you and your crew have all cleaned up there. I could hear some singing out on the uh, TV watching at home, so I reckon you were part of that crew. Um, but, yeah, Cody rated Pink Beauty beautifully. Justin Eads, I mean – to get out to 2100 now, the strut stakes can be very hard to beat, I think, if it does. Um, Jaguar Stone was probably a touch disappointing. Um, unique Glow, I thought, hit the line really well. Um, I'd been following the horse, and I sort of stopped following it after a little long foot, I think it was, whereas a touch disappointing, but I thought it ran a really good race on um, Sunday, and probably the further they go it the better.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um Imogen Miller, trainer of Justin Eads, in her post race did allude to the 21 probably being uh, the next step here for Justin Eads. Uh, the time here was about two seconds faster than the other mile race on the program that was run won by Nostra Beale. Uh, worth mentioning, though, that uh, Justin Eads ran home 11 lengths slower for the last 600 metres but still had an overall time that was two seconds faster. So absolute Christmas present given to the uh, to the leaders in the last race. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I think, again, this is another race where it's probably ripe for a, a mainland horse to come across and probably win the Strut and the Oaks. Uh, Justin Eads was one of the best sectional closers in the race. Bear, you identified the horse that was the best sectional closer, uh, which was Unique Glow. Jaguar Stone and flying to Paris probably looked like horses and, and performed like horses that had come to the end of their campaign. Uh, cloudy Nights was in the market, but was a little bit uh, plain as well. So, yeah, I just think it, it's probably trending towards uh, an interstate horse probably coming across and, and probably starting favourite for the Strutton Oaks, which isn't uncommon.
1: No, and, and that's what we want. We want the horses, the big horses coming from the big stables, coming over to of- a can test our feature uh, races and um it just will give us a good measure to where some of our um up-and-coming stays are so i'm sure Eat will be very competitive um he obviously was she was a good maiden win two starts back and then i love the way she found the line on sunday Avo. so um the 2100 she should really eat it up in a couple of weeks time
0: and again the benefit for her and we mentioned it with swoop dog a horse that can settle in in the front half Uh, I mean, you go back to last year's strut, it was Miss Charlie Brown that won Bear when we'd both deserted Mm. her bundle of fun, probably one of the biggest morals in the history of racing. Ever. Uh, Yeah, then prove that was the case by winning the Oaks. (laughs) But anyway, you go back, you you don't necessarily know how these, particularly the three-year-old staying features are going to be run because a lot of them are genuine queries at the trip. So it may be slowly run. Justin Ead's settles in the front half and um, too good there. And, and yeah, I must say Pink Beauty, obviously she went very good. And and if you're steve given what I've just said about how these races are often run, you probably press on there as well. Uh, the Lady Lynette Bear, huge win by Queen Brafly here mm. a clear, personal best performance she went into this race as a 69 Raider and as such pretty poorly treated at the weights like um, the toppy take the sits rated 90 something, but gee whiz, wasn't she dominant?
1: Absolutely. And I still remember when Queenborough Flyer won her first start at Launceston, I reckon it was one of the first Wednesday night meets a few seasons ago. And it sort of reminded me of the inevitable, the way it sort of came from a position where it probably couldn't have won. And, obviously it's had it's injury concerns but Ziggy gave this horse a peach um, and coming to the turn it was the only one he wanted to be on and it was pretty soft in the end so um, obviously I'd imagine they'll head to the 1200 metre race on derby night the group three so um, yeah I mean it was a superb ride Ziggy summed it up beautifully in a post race she said she she followed take the Sid, who was obviously going to take a ride into the race and um, was a masterful ride and well, under Ziggy and connections, they've obviously worked bloody hard to get this horse back to near its be or to its best. So hats off to them. And I think Ziggy's doing a great job in the training ranks.
0: Yeah, yeah, huge win, Queenborough Flyer. I mean, she drifted massively here, 950 mm. out to 17 dollars. I she finished in terms of what she paid at about where I marked her, Queenborough Flyer. I wasn't overly taken Um, by her two wins earlier in the campaign. It wasn't a lot against the clock, but in turn, you can only do what you can do in terms of how the races was run. And then she was pretty disappointing last time we saw her in a class three, but freshened up here, given the gun by Siggy, Um, Way too good. I think you're right, Bear. She definitely goes with the bow mistress off the strength of this and um, will be one of our leading local seeds based on that. She's always had a big sprue on her, and it was justified here. Um, Market really loved Emily in this race, as it so often does. Mm. Uh, She's gone good again. I think what we're probably finding with Emily Bear is that horses that settle in the back half of the field, as you get up in class, it's just hard to win like that, and we saw it with her and the carpet charge. Serene Stryker was very good after being slowly out, and from there it was a pretty great ride by Gando to, to try and pick yeah. his way through on her. I thought Miss Tuppence returned to form a yes, little bit. Yes, agree. Yeah. Uh, Jar Jar Blickers on, went to the front. Uh, she's just a good, honest mare in this grade, and uh, if they ride her like that, then she'll pick up checks again. To me, the the horse that I found a bit strange here and I thought was pretty plain was Take the Sit, um, when we did our preview on last week's pod, we sort of identified her as uh, she stuck out like the proverbial dogs, you know what. Mm. But <laughs> the market hated take the sit. She was four fifty early, which I thought was big. She jumped eight dollars here, she settled in the first couple, maybe ridden a bit close for her pattern, but then you go back to a win in the vamos and she was leaders' back. You could argue that 1,100 is short of her best, and yes, that's true, but I thought her trials leading into this were excellent um, and she was there to run a forward race, but I thought she was pretty plain and, and the market knew that that was coming, a big drift as well. So not sure what to make of her. Again, don't really just want to completely dismiss the locals, Bear, but we always see a big contingent of interstate horses, uh, fillies and mares coming across to chase black type again, I suspect we'll see the visitors probably heading the market for this race on Derby Day.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I was surprised it was so close in the run, take to sit, but I wouldn't be sacking her just yet. I mean, um, obviously, once we get out to the 1400 of the Vamos at, at Launceston, I think you'll see the best there. So I'm not giving up on her after that. And I agree with what you just said then about... Um Trinder's horse, Miss Tuppence. Just, just, Miss Tuppence, I actually thought it was hitting line nicely, so it was nice to see a return to form as such for that horse. So, um, and also you touched on Daniel Gannon ride right on Serene Striker, thought it was a peach. And if the horse has any luck, it might even win one of these bigger races at some stage if the gaps open at the right time.
0: Yeah, so I think we'll see. It's always a a really tough betting race, the Bow Mistress. Um, not a hell of a lot between our fillies and mares, and um, depending on what comes across, it can be hard mm-hmm. to to pick out the form there either. So um, we'll have. Need a bit of luck picking our way through that one in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Last of the features, Bear, a new addition to the program was the Black Flash. Um, Winning time here of Miami Sun was only a length slower than Queenborough Flyer, So again, a a really good win. And you mentioned in the opener that uh, Miami Sun did come from back in the field, but one of the few horses to do that. And uh, the market didn't really show a lot of love to Miami Sun, a, a big price again, but Uh, You've got to start believing what you're seeing in regards to this horse. I think Baird, two very impressive wins and a nice paycheck here for Connections.
1: Yeah, it's really turned its form around. Um, Obviously, at Race Against Fear, the Sting, I think, first up and sat behind the leader and dropped out. And Then they obviously made a few gear changes, did a few things too, and it brained them in the maiden at sort of 60 or 70 to 1. But, geez, seeing is believing and... I'll be honest, my eyes were on Bold Instinct at the 200. And then uh, I was with my mate, Toddy Australia. he goes, oh no, this thing out wide's got everyone covered and it was Miami Sun and it was a dominant win in the end. And um, wherever it goes, you probably want to be following what I mean, seeing is believing as we touched on. And um, yeah, well under David Keating. It's obviously got the horse flying. It was a good ride from Hannon. Obviously, the pace, I thought, to the eye looked pretty strong. Just sat at the back, just one run down the down the middle to the outside of the track and uh, got the chocolate. So well done to the team there.
0: It only ever happens when you get a, a gift as big as the one that the bookies offered about Bold Instinct, isn't it, Bear? Like, I mean, whether you thought this horse should have been $4 or $3 was never, ever, ever a double-figure chance, and I bet $16. No. Uh, that was knocked mm. off pretty quick, just got the absolute Gun run by B McCool. Yeah. Didn't go around one and you get knocked off by one out wide at $21. I mean, these horses uh, have got options of the the carbine club race that we touched on last week, which is coming up on Derby day. There's always a, a lucrative three-year-old race on Launceston cup day as well. So yeah. a few of these are likely to kick on and probably a couple of them might be suited up in distance a little bit. I think Sistine's one of those didn't have a lot of luck here either, but, I mean, Miami Sun's probably the one that they've all got to tip out now. Uh, He managed to do the job and and covered a bit of ground as well. So uh, well played, David Keating, and well done, Brooke Hannum, for for the biggest win in her short career. Uh, Anything else in any of the other races that you saw on Sunday, Bear, before we move
1: forward? Uh, I can't believe the price of Dark Wanderer. I mean, I I know it had a lot of weight, but it did run third to the inevitable two starts ago, and, Lizzie and Els gave it a peach of a ride and I think it paid $8.50 on some of the totes. So just, uh, yeah, that's probably one that got away. But apart from that, uh, personally, Snap, the sooner we can move on from this meeting, (laughs) the better for me (laughs) from a selfish point of view.
0: It was a tough day looking at a lot of people's sets and tips across the board. There were a few that were complete uh, strip outs, I think. Justin Aids is probably one that the punters may to find but you're right about Dark Wonder. I mean I was keen on him going into uh, I think it was the the Sheffield Cup now and the market smashed him and then completely deserted him here and Yeah, that was one of those ones where you just scratch your head. So we're not back in Hobart now until Derby Day, which is Friday, fortnight. It's going to be a huge weekend of racing uh, at the Elwit Track in Hobart. And again, kudos to the guys for producing a great racing surface. Uh, Time to go to our guest interview for the week Bear, We've had a bit of an AFL theme the last couple of weeks. We had... Uh, Nick Foot, the AFL umpire, and I'm not sure if Footy ever umpired Campbell Brown Bear, but if he did, I, I'm sure Brownie would have given him a hard time. Uh, let's have a listen to our chat, uh, or my chat with Campbell Brown earlier in the week. I'll start with uh, sort of the work you do at the moment, and I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions about Footy, but um, from a racing standpoint, you're working with SEN and SEN track these days. How did you get into racing and and where does your love of the punt come from? Yeah, probably um, when I
2: was a a youngster growing up, my old man um, had a lot of trotters and uh, had a lot of horses uh, with varying degrees of of success. Um, He won a few country cups and I remember a horse called Babacek uh, was a grey that won the greys race at Flemington. Um, So he was always sort of involved in racing in some degree as an owner. And I just remember as a, as a youngster sort of sitting there watching some races and um he'd anyway, be the form guy to pick a number and um, and things like that. So that's probably from a, from a youngster learning the caper a little bit and then um, we moved from Perth to Melbourne uh, when I was 10 years of age and um, I remember the first Caulfield Cup I went to was 1997 and I was about 13 or 14 at the time. And um, for whatever reason, I I picked Might and Power out. I think I must have liked the name and um, didn't, you know, obviously didn't know too much about the horse, but I remember watching it, uh, Jimmy Cassidy jumped led on the, the horse, uh, ended up winning by seven or eight lengths and, um, and then went on to win the Melbourne Cup a couple of weeks later. So that's probably... Uh, you know, when I really got the passion for, for racing and then when I got to Hawthorne Footy Club um, going there and Shane Crawford was heavily involved in in ownership with Johnny O'Neill and, and a couple of really prominent owners and, um, you know, you're, you're a youngster and start to make a little bit of money with uh, with
0: playing footy so you can start to go into a few horses and um, that's, that's where the ownership um, grew from. So it's a gradual build but uh, I certainly love it. Uh, what, what's the best uh, best one you've ever had to share in brownie? Oh, without that sweet idea,
2: I was, I was pretty fortunate that um, my first year on the Gold Coast, I, I met the Henderson brothers, uh, which is the Brown Silks, and uh, they'd had Descarado and uh, won plenty of races. They won a flipper with Sebring and a few, and they introduced me to Gay Waterhouse and um, got uh, went to the Magic Millions and uh, went across to the sales on a Saturday night afterwards and. Um, yeah, we bid it on a schnitzel filly that uh, that we called Sweet Idea, and, and she went on to be you know a bit of a star. Won um, like the Group One the Galaxy, and four Group Twos, won the three-year-old Magic Millions, and um, and we ended up selling her as a broodmare uh, to the Queen of England. Actually, she she went across to her Sandringham stable and
0: um, and went over there and, and bred with uh, Galileo. So that that was a pretty pretty cool experience. You couldn't you couldn't write that script even if uh, even if someone told you that might happen uh, beforehand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I've had slow ones ever
2: since, Reid. It's, uh, it's one of the bad things about getting a really good, good one early on in your ownership career. Uh, you're chasing that
0: success um, for the rest of your life probably that might never come. It's hard, isn't it? Uh, you definitely have more slow ones than quick ones over the journey. These days you're doing your best to give out – a few tips uh, across a lot of different jurisdictions for SEN Tracker. How do you find during the doing the form, and I always like to ask people this question Is it's something I have to do a lot of myself, but um, do you have a sort of key trait you look for when you're doing the form? Well, there's no, there's no perfect science here there, and, um, you know, I find
2: uh, I know a lot of people in the, in the industry, trainers and jockeys and things like that, so their opinion you, you take on board. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not the be-all and end-all, as we know, because trainers and jockeys are notoriously bad tipsters. But um, I, I, I'm always prepared to take to on debutants. You know, they, they trial and they get big rats going to the races and they get backed and everything. But I'll always lean towards race fitness and race experience over a debutant. Um, and, and more often than not, you, you see them, them flop. Um, just because they can't handle, you know, race conditions or, or the pressure where it gets poured on at the three or four hundred. So I like to to go and watch a, a lot of the tape and see how horses are hitting the line and things like that. But I will emphasise, uh, I'm I'm a racing enthusiast and not not necessarily a tipster. You know, I, I certainly I love it and I know enough to to give a tip. But I say to everyone, just you know, take uh, take the tips with um, you know caution because I'm not. Dean Lester or David Gately or uh, or Mark Hunter or any of those guys that do it professionally. I'm very much in the in the entertainment side of of racing, more so than the, you know, the professional
0: tips Just listen and, and have a bet and have a laugh and hopefully we can make some money, but don't um don't take what I say as absolute gospel. Well, you certainly do a good job from the entertainment standpoint. I might just touch quickly on your your footy career, mate. About hundred and sixty games for My mighty Hawks, forty odd for the Gold Coast. Did you you finish your career sort of thinking that you left it all out there on the table? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I um, I was probably one of those guys that you know I I wasn't blessed with a stack of ability. I had some you know
2: some attributes that helped me play a lot of footy over a long period of time, but I had to I had to uh, really bring uh, aggression and and energy uh, every time I went out there. and, yeah, look, I was, really, I was really happy with my career. Like you could said to me at the start when I got drafted for the Hawks um, back in 2001, you know, you'd go on and play a couple hundred games and win a flag and be all Australian and play for Victoria. I wouldn't have even dreamed that was possible. So, um, yeah, I I've mean, I got a bit frustrated up on the Gold Coast because I'm, I'm pretty competitive and, um, you know, going up there and losing every week and...
0: You know, playing down back when we're conceding 70, 80 inside 50s made me a bit of a grumpy old man, so I, I lashed out a few times and, <laughs> and ran the suspensions up, um, which was, you know, a bit frustrating for probably the club and myself, but um, I couldn't have given any more to, to both those footy clubs. Just on that move to the, to the Gold Coast Brownie, 2011 to 2013, you were there. If, if given your time over... Would have you left Hawthorne and gone to the Gold Coast or were you happy leaving Hawthorne and maybe wish you went to a, another club? Obviously at, at that point in time the Goldie were giving out pretty good coin to try and attract some big names of, of which you were one. Yeah, it was definitely the right move in terms of you know, my footy career. Clarko is a pretty ruthless coach and the game had
2: sort of evolved a little bit in, in uh, 2009 and nine and ten, where they brought in the chopping of the arm rules and you, no rush behind and things like that, which sort of affected my ability as a defender to be able to play my best. So I got the feeling, and you know, having spoken to Clarko pretty you know, upfront and honestly, that my time at the Hawks was limited. Not necessarily straight away, but he, he sort of said, you know, we've got Suckling and Geray and Bruce and Stratton and Pioppolo and all these young, uh, really good young kids coming through the ranks that hadn't played any AFL footy at that stage, um, and you, can, you know you see now they've gone on to be, be superstars and multiple um, Premiership players. That you know it, the, the writing was on the wall for me certainly as a defender, and he played me as a forward for a little bit, but um, all that worked. You know I wouldn't say I was a natural forward, so the Gold Coast moved Um, and the offer came at the perfect time in my career. I was 27 and looking for longevity. You know, my my footy, what gets um, forgotten a little bit because of my misdemeanours off the field and everything, my footy up on the Gold Coast was pretty good. I was playing some good footy up there. It's just um, we were losing and I was getting suspended a little bit. So, um, you know, I think in terms of... a footballing decision. It was definitely the right
0: move. It just probably didn't work out the way that uh, we would have liked. Um, you know, when we when we looked ahead to it. Who do you think uh, wins a flag first? Now, out of the the Hawks and the Gold Coast. Oh, definitely the Gold Coast. Um, oh, I think it's taken You know, probably three coaches and a lot of turnover and and a lot of uh, losses and, and learning lessons. But I think they're finally in a pretty good spot as a footy club um, I think continuity is a really important part of, of a footy club and um, they had so many players and staff leaving that they never probably had you know two or three years of consistency across
2: the board and, and now with Mark Evans as the CEO, he's been there for a number of years um, they've got uh, you know Stuart Judith they've put a lot of faith in, he's been there for a number of years and they're starting to build that core group of players with you know, Took Miller and Answorth and, and some of those guys that are really good, strong leaders that have committed to that footy club for you know a long period of time, Rowell and Anderson and, and those guys. So um, I can see them sneaking into the finals this year if they have a bit of luck. And um, Hawthorne are unfortunately going
0: the other way, mate. I think they'll be fighting out the woods. Great. Yeah, I don't think Hawthorne will be uh, sneaking into the finals this year. I probably can't disagree with that. Uh, looping back, mate, to your connection with Tassie, I'd imagine through footy and, and maybe even through your parents before that, you have been coming down here for a lot of years. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've loved Tassie um, as a player. It was outside of playing on the MCG, um, you
2: know, which with the big crowd and everything you loved, um, York Park, as it was called back when I was playing, Launceston, Um it is one of my favourite grounds. I played my, my hundreds down there with Chance Bateman and um, the Tassie people. Uh, always you know, really supported Hawthorne and um, since I've been coming back uh, to the races now, just yeah, everyone's really friendly, and um, it's one of the highlights of of my year uh, getting down to Devonport, Hobart, and Longs and Lodzestin Cups with you know, a couple of mates, and try and get a game of golf in at Barn Bugle, and um, yeah, I absolutely love Tassie racing. I think it's really grown. Um, the last few years, and, and you can see that you know, plenty of trainers from Victoria are starting to send their horses down now to, to target the Cups and
0: the Guineas and things like that. And, um, it's just always a great, fun day out. Well, we love having you down here in Tassie, and you touched on it there, but we'll see you again back down here. I think you're hosting the, the YRT Marquees for, for Hobart and Lonnie Cups. You touched on Barnboogal. Then, Brownie, you're going to try and work in a, a few of the sites while you're down here? Yeah, I'll try to. Yeah, around Launceston Cup, I'll probably fly down on the Tuesday and, and get a round of golf at Lost
2: Farm in. Um, I'm, I'm a terrible golfer, but I do enjoy um, a nice course, and uh, there's probably none better in, in Australia than Farm Bugle. So um, that'll be good. I'm bringing, I always like to bring a couple of, of the boys down that uh, enjoy themselves. So I'm bringing Jonathan Brown down um, with me to Hobart. Uh, into the
0: marquee and, um, and we do a podcast together um, called Brownie's Podcast where we just talk a little bit of rubbish about footy and life and everything so um, he's, uh, he's a great man big JB so I'm taking him to the Hobart Cup for the first time well that, that's a coup for that day that's for sure and with a bit of luck Brownie you might see the inevitable who's going around in the Thomas Lyons a, a potential all-star mile candidate so I have to make sure you get behind him with the voting yeah been
2: that I own The Inevitable. So they were talking up that horse many years ago before it even made it debut, about it, the potential star. So I've, I've really followed the journey of The Inevitable. It's,
0: uh, it's great to see it back and, and racing well. A couple of quick hitters before I let you go, mate. What, and this doesn't necessarily need to be a, a Tassie race day, but what's your favourite race day to attend anywhere in the country? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a fan of, um, of I love Randwick. And each time, you know, that they're racing up there, I just think that that
2: course is absolutely outstanding. So the Everest, I've been a couple of times, um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I I love the Caulfield Cup as well, and in an ideal world, I'd love that they didn't clash. But, you know, I understand uh, what New South Wales Racing is is trying to do and and create a bit of a presence through the the Melbourne Spring Carnival. Um, I can't begrudge Peter of the for, for that i think he's a you know, great administrator um i love australia cup day as well it's it's one of the, the really good days of racing i think in autumn you don't get as many um people to the racetrack and um and so i enjoy that
0: it's more for the, the purists that go there you know for the races and not just necessarily for for the social scene or to be in the birdcage and um I like a little bit of both, mate, but uh, always lean towards the actual racing and, and the betting and, and that side of things over the socialising. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. Final one, tell us something that people don't know about Campbell Brown or that may, they might have the wrong impression about when it comes to you, Brownie. You're always seen as a, a bit of a larrikin. You don't want a beer and a laugh, but uh, what's something people don't know about you?
2: just saw the way that I was on the footy field for that two hours a week uh, that's probably not the, the person I am, I'm, I'm pretty laid back um, always happy, friendly and, and relaxed sort of guy um, I played quite intensely but that was just the role I had to play so I
0: don't know, I'm, a, I'm an animal
2: lover mate, I, uh, I drink apple ciders and, um, and vodka cruises not, not beer um, I've got a little um, <laughs> a toy poodle um, you know, people always say, oh, I thought you'd have like a, a rock wheel or a bulldog or something like that, but um, it's a little, little um, toy poodle called Mighty, named after Mighty Power. Um, so, I don't know, I've always just tried to, to be myself um, every, uh, every chance I, I get, and um, some people like me, some people don't, but um, I, I find that once they
0: get to meet me, they, uh, they change their impression of me. I think that's a very good point, mate. If, uh, if they don't like you, there's something wrong with them and not the other it's way around. Us, mate. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, we, we don't want them as mates anyway. Rick, uh, <laughs> really appreciate your time, Brownie. Big supporter of Tassie Racing. Can't wait to see you down here for the carnival in, in a couple of weeks and look forward to catching up then. Yeah, my pleasure. Looking
2: forward to having a, a drink with you ready? Cheers, mate.
0: We covered a bit of ground bear. There was a lot of different ways we could go with it uh, with Brownie. I love what he said about the end. Anyone that meets him sort of can't help but warm to him. He's, he's yeah. that type of customer. Uh, and I think it's great for for racing in Tassie that, you, that we have someone as big as him with his profile shining a light on our races down here, be it attendance at the races or even putting tips out. He mentioned it there. He's no Dean Lester. He's no Mark Hunter, but he is Campbell Brown. He will have a following. Um, there'll be recreational punters that, that only want to have a look at the races because Brownie's throwing tips out and at the end of the day. I think that's pretty important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's lived a great life, hasn't he? Um You'd like to have on his CV what he's done, not just on the footy field but off the field. I remember I spoke to him a couple of Hobart Cups ago. I said, mate, you live the best life I've ever heard of any man with children. He'd been at the Super Bowl, I think, the week the year before, and now he's down at the Hobart Cup. And obviously, he loves coming down to Tassie. And I, he obviously mentioned Big John O'Brown in the uh, YRT. So, um, yeah, some big names in there. So I'm sure uh, there'll be some apple ciders consumed by Campbell, followed up with a couple of vodka cruises, which um, I didn't think he'd be the man's drink of choice, but. Uh, yeah, and if he keeps pumping the inevitable up for us, I'll be pretty happy with that as well.
2: Ladbrokes' new bet ticket now available. Watch the exclusive live feed on your Ladbrokes app and see where the big bets land. Get the down low on the download. Ladbroke
0: acts. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Fracking meeting in Launceston on Friday night. It's the final night meeting until early March, headlined by the Kevin Sharkey, Launceston Guineas. Uh, We've got a rail in the four-and-a-half-metre position. They were last there a couple of months ago in in mid to early November. Uh, Just reviewing that meeting today, I didn't notice any pattern at all. Uh, Weather should be good, and we'll get a good-rated track, I would expect, Bear. For the second year in a row, the Launceston Guineas is going to throw up a short-price favourite. If you took the shorts about Alpine Wolf last year, your heart's probably just come back to... Uh, a normal resting position market for the guineas bear we've got six runners only dunkel we've sort of known for the last week it's been publicized in racing media that paddy Payne was going to bring this bloke across good to see him here is a dollar 40 with ladbroke's sole choice uh, from the waterhouse bot stable three dollars sixty royal and tough Best of the locals at $10, along with I Know What You're Doing from the Richard and Chantel Jolly Yard in South Australia. is Also at 10s, Happy Clan 46s and Write Your Own Ticket about a Raptor. Uh, Lonnie Guineas Bear, pretty familiar to see, I guess, a pronounced favourite and a reasonably longish tail. We couldn't say this has got a long tail because we've only got six runners. Give Mm. us your assessment of the Launceston Guineas.
1: Oh, first of all, I think it's great that Paddy Payne's brought a horse over for the Lonces and Guineas. It's great to see Gay Waterhouse and obviously Richard and Chantel Jolly have been dominating over in Adelaide. So um, you know, that's great that they've brought their horses over here. Um, hill has been the spruk horse, I suppose, even before its last win at Flemington, even it's when it's won its first start at Mooney Valley on a Friday night, I think, from memory. Um, there's been a bit of spruk on it. It's just great that patty has got it over here now and and sole choice so I thought was bloody tough on speed at Flemington the other day. So, yeah, it might be a smallish feel, but it's definitely got some quality in it. Do you think
0: the race starts and stops with those two?
1: <laughs> oh, look, I'll be perfectly honest, Snap. I don't know too much about... I know what you're doing. Um, Royal and Tough's been pretty consistent. We always thought that once it got out over the 2100, it'd really come into its own. Um, but I probably... I'm leaning to the top end of the market at the moment. Um, you know, if, if anyone hasn't seen Hill's win last start at Flemington, it's worth having a look. Carried 61 kilos and yeah, come from an impossible position on the turn to win. So um, where the and I did read on one of the sites that Paddy said, he thinks Launceston will suit. So, who don't mind to argue there with Paddy Payne? but You just never know. Launceston can be a little bit tricky. Obviously the horse of Godolphins didn't win last year in the Oaks, went around very short and then it came out and won a big race over the Alden Carnival. So honeycreeper, I think from memory. So, um, I actually don't mind sole choice in this race. I just, we know where it's going to be. Gay's horses are bloody tough. Geordie Childs comes over for the ride and, um, he's a jockey that's greatly improved in the last few seasons in Melbourne. And, um, I love him on a front runner, and I think that's going to get every chance on on the speed.
0: You don't have to go back too far to get a bit of a reminder about the types of horses that Waterhouse and Bot bring down to Tassie, do you, Bear? I mean, we saw it a couple of weeks ago with Rush and mm. Ronnie in the Tassie Guineas. They they wouldn't be bringing a horse down, down here if they didn't think... Uh, that she can win and exactly. he's got the, got the option here of either the strut or the the derby after this i mean is is the speed map for this race just simply too obvious bear that it lends itself to to Dunkel not enabling Soul choice to to pinch the race. I mean for all money, if you're making a case against the shorts getting rolled here, it's that the waterhouse bot runner will be bowling along on speed, uh, will kick on the corner, and maybe is back and wide and and having to make up ground, but if we know that, surely Harry Coffey knows that and the other five riders in the field know that as well. But, I mean, is it just that simple?
1: but oh, it never works out that way, Snap, does it? <laughs>
0: if we knew that, we
1: wouldn't be doing a, a podcast on a Wednesday night. We'd be living in the Bahamas, drinking pina coladas and, yeah, not doing too much. But I suppose, though, I understand what you're saying, but if Harry goes forward and Dunkel and tries to ride a little bit closer, does that take away from... Dunkel's finish Um, obviously it's still every run it's had it's got back and really savages the line and if it sort of rolls forward to keep Soul choice in it's uh, close enough to it so it doesn't get a cheap run on speed it might uh, might be able to finish off as well as it can but um, I'm sure Harry knows what to do and him and Paddy will work out a plan but I just thought map wise Soul choice probably as you
0: touched on gets a really good run on pace and I think it'll give you a sight for your money I also reckon it's probably easier said than done for Dunkell to be ridden a bit closer. I mean, I, I looked at the tapes and I'm not really familiar with the horse prior to it arriving other than a couple of people texting me when the rumours came to say this horse is fair dinkum. Uh, it doesn't look to have any gate speed whatsoever. It's basically um, almost blundered out at the last couple of starts and it was a pretty grim watch if you did take. The favourite last time at Flemington, he was in a horrible spot for the eternity of that race, um, sort of stuck on the fence from a low draw. Benefit here for Harry Coffey is that he does draw five, so if he's slow out, I guess he'll make sure that he doesn't get stuck behind any too too many slow ones. I think sole choice leads. I think Royal and Tough probably posies up uh, like he did in the Guineas where I think, to be fair, where he positioned flattered him a little bit. It was a slowly run race. He lobbed 1-1, one, one, but, again, you put yourself in the race, you give yourself those favours, and I think Royal and Tough will get that here. Um, I know what you're doing. The form does look a, a fair rung below the Vic Metro form, I think. Um, won a maiden at Morphettville. The SP profile strong, but... I think that South Australian sort of mile low level benchmark three round form uh is a run below these. Uh so at a dollar forty versus three dollars eighty in the market bear or sorry, three sixty sold choice. Uh, probably not a great betting race, more a watch race, but you'd be a lean to sold choice? Just a little bit, mate. Like I wouldn't get too involved. I mean the
1: six horse field with a dollar forty pop in it, so I think just probably watch the race more so than anything. But if you're desperate, to have a pun. I'll be having a couple of dollars on the bottom one, just from a map point of view.
0: Yeah, I did this race today uh, earlier today. I dunked hell at a dollar thirty and sold choice at four dollars to one hundred and ten percent. So I'm probably not too far off where mm-hmm. this market is. Uh, at 125%, uh, maybe if I could get a dollar fifty, Dunkell I might think about putting in multiples, but um, I'm not sure given the spruik on him that. Uh, we're likely to see any bigger than a dollar forty. I suspect he'll probably go the other way and sort of jump closer to a dollar thirty. But I love that these stables have come across and supporting our Tassie features. Paddy Payne, of course, won the cup just a couple uh, Hobart Cup a couple of years ago with uh, an ex Tassie horse in and WT and, and Waterhouse and Bot won a feature just a couple of weeks ago. So um, plenty of intrigue. And we saw with Alpine Wolf last year, Bear, even though he got the job done. Uh, There's no such thing as a moral in racing because of the, I guess, lack of um, perceived uh, value in the Launceston guineas is the word I'm looking for. Bear, we're going to do our hundred dollar strategy on the Ladbroke stakes. And we don't have a market at the time of recording on Wednesday night. Uh, You, I went cans, you went cans and thespian waters in the Elwick stakes and that returned zero for the record. Uh, the Ladbroke Stakes, Bear, I think this race has got a huge benefit from the addition of the carpet charge into the program. Yeah. This is one of the strongest Ladbroke Stakes I can remember uh, in quite some time, and it's an absolute beauty. We've got Bello Bow, the star two- and three-year-old, taking on the older horses for the first time in his career, a rebel factor coming off that minor foot abscess, mister start in the tassie stakes Uh, and then you've got carpet charge winner turk warrior Liffy bow won this race last year over gg second over who was probably a bit stiff there blaze fourth track and distance specialist Um, peace be upon him and Lalo pluck have been flying in in lower grades so there's plenty of angles here bear Uh, we might just start with i guess the, the barrier draw on the map uh, no spoil with the barrier draw for the two Spruke locals, Rebel Factor and Bellow Bow draw uh, 11 and 12 respectively.
1: Probably adds even more interest to the race. So, snap, like what happens with Bellow Bow from there? Like, obviously, it's 1600 back to 12 and it's drawn the car park. Rebel Factor, who was amazing last start, um, draws 12. So, does it slide across with Bellow Bow? But then you don't know how much pace underneath, Liffy Bow kick up. Julius, um, Turk Warrior sort of hold a position. So it's going to be a cracking race. Um, yeah, I just don't know really which way to go. And that obviously it's hard without a market, but I think it would be an unbelievable training performance if Bello Bo could come back from a mile um, of the guineas and and win this. Um, and obviously Rebel Factor was heading to the um, to the mile race as well. So it's going to, yeah, Lucking Rain is going to play it. A big part in this but as I said the barriers have really opened the race up I think
0: Who do you think starts favourite in this race or at least maybe opens favourite in this race The
1: SP of Rebel Factor and the fact he's been beaten only 0.4 from the inevitable probably leads his way so
0: oh, I could be totally wrong mate um, but that's just what I'm thinking what about you uh, I think bellow bow probably opens favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. I did this race and have rebel factor and narrow favorite. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's a bit against the setup of bellow bow here, 16 back to 12 older horses for the first time drawn 11 of 12. Uh, it's been very difficult to poke any holes in his armor, bellow bow, but This time, I think he can make a a little bit of a case. Uh, But also Rebel Factor was, uh, I guess, being trained to run in a mile race in Hobart on the same day and and didn't go there. So all of a sudden now he's sort of a month between runs, 14 back to 12, but remembering he was sort of scratched on race day. Uh, I just think there's probably nothing between him, uh, sorry, between those two. Uh, I've got those as the clear top two picks. Rebel Factor, I have 320. Bellow Bow, I have 340. And then doing my market to 110%, percent i got a pretty big gap out to Turk Warrior at $10. I think the knocks on him are going from a handicap back to weight for age. Uh, I think he was a, a good run in the new market, but again, that was a, a handicap. Uh, although there were just a couple up in the weights and it was pretty compressed down the bottom. I think he just had the perfect, set up in the carpet charge. He obviously didn't want it any further there, but he does map for a really good run here. He probably holds the rail and you're right Bear Liffy Bow will kind of try and truck his way across. Uh, Julius will will be kicking up, which again does make it hard for uh, those runners drawn out wide. Bellow Bow does have that brilliant gate speed. So I think uh, Harry Coffey probably, if he does jump well, which he does always seem to, probably isn't going to look to restrain him. And, I would imagine that, um, that Brendan on Rebel Factor is probably thinking, I'll look for a maybe midfield, three and four wide card. I just don't want to be posted. If I can get the back of something with cover, I'll, I'll feel confident I can still beat them. Is there anything outside those top two that we've mentioned, mate, that you think might be capable of um, causing a boil over or uh, maybe value for the multiples?
1: Mm-hmm. Look, we touched on GG second over a month ago after the race in at Hobart that this would potentially be the race that it'd be really hard to beat. And obviously, it's come up a lot stronger than we thought. Drawn one, which potentially could be a bit sticky, but the night of drew barrier one when Taylor Johnson rode it, it, it got past first accused pretty convincingly over the concluding so. If they went mad and all the gaps opened at the right time, and a couple of the favoured runners got stuck wide or got held up in transit, then second over might be a bit of a probably fifteen to one sort of chance. It might be some hope, but as you touched on before, Turk Warrior maps really well, so um, it's just going to be intriguing once the market comes out, which way everything, which way everyone decides to go with. Um, it's a cracking race, and as you touched on before, having the carpet charge races there's probably really been a prelude to having an even better race, um, which over the past years, I remember there was only five or six in it at, at times. So it's great that we've got a capacity field or nearly a capacity field of, tw- we've got 12. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good race. And I suppose if you throw first accused and then Evelyn, you've got another new market.
0: Well, this, if you throw those two in, this is better than the new market, really. Yeah, like we've got, yeah, we've got rebel factor and, and bellow bow here. And, it's long at the top, but it's long at the belt bottom. I mean, probably looking at horses like uh, an old boy, like blaze who was, he went as good as he could go in the carpet charge. Really? I mean, I only beat one home, but only beaten 4.3, mm. um, just made a living from the Lonnie 1200 as, as blaze And even a horse like liquor who's maybe been found out a little bit, this preparation in this grade, but you're looking at them as the despised outsiders. And if five of them ran in the top four, I wouldn't really be surprised either. We will put our suggested $100 strategies for this race, bear up once we see markets for the race. We'll tweet those out. But, yeah, my early lean for this this race is Rebel Factor. Um, I'd be the other way around if Bello Bo hadn't gone to the Guineas and was sort of just three-year-old trophy to hear. But having that run... um, be a huge effort here to come back and knock off the older horses and i mean win lose or draw we know he's sort of the real deal and hopefully he runs well and um heads across the water a little bit later in the campaign
1: yep sounds good looking forward to it i'll probably i'm actually got tickets to the uh jackie's on friday night so can you arrange that the wi-fi is better than it was there 12 months ago so we can actually watch this race
0: well, I was about to say the exact same thing. I'll be I'll be there as well. we will be probably at opposite ends of My State Bank Arena as the blokes on the on the phones while people are yelling out for free cheeseburgers. But I do note from other games this year that it does seem to be a bit better. So uh, okay. fingers crossed and nine o'clock by the time the lab broke stakes rolls around, yeah, we'll probably be in the fourth quarter and hurling a bit of abuse at Chase Buford. So, yeah, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but no, that's, that race is an absolute beauty. And again, uh, tip of the hat to the boys that in charge of the program. I think the carpet charges really reinvigorated uh, Devonport Cup Day and certainly the Ladbroke Stakes as well. Um, Nine-race program there on Friday Night Bearers, as I touched on it. It's the last night meeting until March. From here, we go to the Gold Sovereign, which is uh, next Sunday week. Uh, we've got the Oaks and the Launceston Cup, so we're not back under lights until March. Um, does look a, a reasonably difficult-ish program. We've got some huge fields to open the program and a couple of maidens and really big fields all through the night, which is sure to throw up a bit of value. Um, you've been on the tools all day, so probably having a lot of time, but when you were flicking through the fields, was there anything that you sort of thought that you'd maybe backed in recent starts and wanted to follow up on or anything like that? There's one that you've been backing
1: so as you say I've been hard working on the tools that at Willis's place cheesy was working me hard um true Scotsman I think you threw that out on Devonport Cup day um I think you're bemoaning that it got beat so out to twenty one hundred do we follow our money there mate
0: oh, I think you probably have um just a a sanity bet on true scotsman i'm not i'm not sure i was keen on devonport cup day for sure it was a day i was sort of struggling for a best bet i don't think he had a lot of luck there but i also don't love the devonport mile to the launceston 2100 it's a pretty big jump there in a pretty deep race so long-winded way of saying i might have something on but not a huge amount all right you got anything for the listeners Oh, well, I've done the the first seven in detail at the time of recording. I'll knock off races eight and nine in the morning. Muscle up was a huge run in Hobart. The market Mm. found him there. Um, Good race for you, B. I think you tipped up Zulu Angel and he got the job done, and I had something on him there. Um, Muscle up went as big as you could go in defeat. The gate beat him. Problem is he's drawn off the track again. He'll probably come up short, but I thought with any luck at all, he'll be winning the opener. Uh, Race two, I've, I thought was impossible. We've got a pretty ordinary bunch in terms of form. There are a couple that might come up big prices, though, that were kind of uh, caught the eye on the tapes from Hobart. The Higher Bay um, settled a mile back, just sort of snagged out early, couldn't really get warm, but made good ground. And Le Louvre for Rod Seymour, a couple of horses that are probably going to come up big prices, and I could entertain uh, something small there. Uh, Cats and Jammer was a good win to open Devonport Cup Day. That form can be franked a little bit earlier. It steps up to a mile. Um, I thought there was a bit of merit to that performance. Uh, I've got a share in Banker Glee, who's going around in race four. I think that might be a little bit hard for her. Race four is a little a really good betting race. I think Bear, you, you mentioned True Scotsman. You got a few horses coming back out of the Brighton Cup. Horses like Always a Winner. Uh, not a brass razoo, I know you gave a, a little bit of a, a tip mm. for there. And has had a couple of gear changes here. The decider was pretty honest. And then horses like Captain Morgan and Rustic Charm um, were good at the track and distance last time, beaten by a couple of pretty honest campaigners in this grade in, in Perrin and Super Swoop. So uh, that's a really good betting race. Uh, race six I like as well. Summer fire resumes here. Um, She's a horse that you go back to last Launceston Cup day, um, (laughs) knocked off Turk Warrior and resumes here. And I thought Gigi Plain was a a really good run. Uh, Last start behind Peace Be Upon Him. I thought they were two uh, I could look at in race six. So I've sort of done seven races, three of them, races two, three, and four I've marked as low confidence bear. So it's probably one of those nights where, um, sort of market will dictate my betting, and there's nothing I'm desperately keen to smash into.
1: Yeah, okay. Maybe we just back the Jackies.
0: Yeah, well, they're they're a bit of value at two dollars.
1: 65 Oh, they've been backed. Your your followers. You've already sent your email out to all your followers. I actually don't get that email. Just letting all the people out there know. So. Um, yeah.
0: I don't have a an NBL s- uh, subscription service, just <laughs> just just for the record as well. Uh, you had a week off Bears Brief last week. We sort of used your chat with Nick Foot. What have you got for us this week?
1: Can I be very very quick tonight? Absolutely. The overs curse is real.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, That's all I got to say. Yeah, yeah. There was a. Uh, Wookiee's dodged a few bullets in Hobart on Sunday. That's actually not a bad transition into my snap special for this week, which is a question I probably get more often than not when it comes to Tassie racing. The the question is, what time do you think markets will go up? (laughs) And it does my head in because I have no clue when the markets are going to go up And unfortunately, there's no real rhyme or reason to when the markets go up, which is really difficult because uh, a lot of people put a lot of work into doing the form for these races and in pools that aren't as liquid as, say, Vic and Sydney Metro, it doesn't take a hell of a lot for prices to get knocked around. So... If you don't necessarily know when the shop's going to open, Bear, then you can't be there to take advantage of the specials. And uh, there was a little bit of that on Sunday. Markets went up Saturday. I had cricket, whatever. You play cricket on Saturdays. The markets are going to go up up the day before anyway, but I think the problem is I'd I'd have no issue at all. If say markets were posted at seven o'clock on race morning, if you knew that was going to happen, but when it comes in, in drips and drabs and sometimes it's, it's sort of morning of the day before, sometimes it's afternoon, sometimes it's a couple of days before. It just makes it really difficult. Obviously earlier, the better for things like this podcast. So we've got something to talk through and even for media and, it it starts the the ball rolling, but it, it'd just be nice to have that sort of universal. Um, let's say for a Wednesday night meeting, three o'clock on Tuesday they're going to go up. Um, so that means for a Friday night meeting, uh, three o'clock Thursday they're going to go up. For a Saturday, for sorry, for a Sunday afternoon meeting, twelve o'clock on Saturday they're going to go up. Whatever it is, at least if we could work towards a, a standard, then it makes it easier for punters.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You've got to be lucky. It can, when you know you've got one coming up, you might want to back. It can be a very boring day, refreshing the uh the, uh the agency. So, as you say, if it'd be nice if there was a generic time where they came out, even if it was 7 a.m. on the Sunday morning or 5 o'clock on the Saturday or the night before the race, then everyone gets a piece of the pie.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, there's no there's no great skill in being the fastest finger, is there? Like sometimes it's the mm-hmm. right place at right time. Like you yep, messaged me the other night with Thespian Waters and like we didn't get the chocolates. As you say, the overcurse is real, but <laughs> you just knew that $9 was the wrong price in, and it was probably going to start shorter. So you just got to take it. And then by basically the next morning, it was into 380, which was somewhere more accurate. But because it went up halfway through a, a Lonnie Night meeting, most people didn't even know it was there.
1: Yeah, and I was only – someone at the gym actually made me aware of it, so I couldn't wait to finish my set to get home just in case it had gone, but as it turned out,
0: it didn't matter. Just imagine you just throwing the dumbbells on the floor and people <laughs> thinking, look at that hero and really just want to no, get that no, on. No, no,
1: just interrupting there, mate. I'm a cardio man, so you don't see me pumping any bench presses or dumbbells out I'm on the bike and the ski erg and the rower
0: and the runner, mate. That's why you're the brains and the brawn of this (laughs) podcast. All right. Another big episode of the summer racing podcast, Launceston guineas, really looking forward to the meeting on Friday night fair. It's not one that I've sort of feel like I've got a really strong handle on, but I think it's going to be a good betting program. Big fields, plenty of value and some good horses has all the uh, recipe for a big night.
1: Yeah, exciting. Um, Good luck to everyone that's got a runner and hopefully uh, you come away with a victory and I hope you've tipped plenty of winners in your set, Snap. So I'll be looking forward to when you post them on the Taz Racing website on Friday morning.